Well, amen. Amen. Acts chapter 19 tonight. Um, today was certainly a good day. And um, my nephew, Ryan, got saved today. And we're thankful for that. And I've got to tell you a little bit about that. His dad, that was... Uh, Louis, his dad, that's his biological father, um, and my sister divorced a, a number of years ago, a lot of years ago, but he stayed in contact with our family, and, and we love him. Um, several years ago, I can't remember how we, we reconnected, but several years ago, um, I found out that he and his new wife had gotten saved. And uh, they were attending an infant Baptist church there in the Fort Worth area. And I just happened to be doing a, a family conference at Lake Worth Baptist Church. And so he came over uh, to the church there and we got to see one another again and kind of renew um, our relationship again. And since then we've, we've been in contact uh, with, with different things and... Um, Ryan, uh, when they were divorced, um, he was fairly young, and um, his mom had, uh, had remarried. They were living in Pratt, and um, Ryan just really, really got off the rails, and a lot of high school students, he picked up some bad habits, carried them into junior college with him, and um, it just never really really had an interest in things of the Lord or whatever. Um, a couple of weeks ago, he called his dad and he said, Dad, I said, I've got to go to Uncle Bill's church. I've got to hear Uncle Bill preach. He said, I just got some things going on. And of course, Louie was concerned. He said, Ryan, are you okay? Is everything all right? He said, yeah, 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 everything's all right. I'm okay. I just, I just need to get to Uncle Bill's church. And uh, so he texted me. He said, hey, are you going to be preaching on the 22nd? I said, yeah, I am. And I hadn't heard anything from them. I didn't know if they were going to be here this morning or not. And so we walked in, and, and they were here. And, of course, I was happy that they were here. And um, Louie told me, he said, uh, he said, when Ryan told me everything was okay, he said, I knew. He said, I knew that the Lord was, the Lord was working on his heart about something. And he wanted to go to Uncle Bill's church, and he said, I wouldn't have cared if I would have had to driven a thousand miles. I would have made sure I got there to take him to Uncle Bill's church. And uh, he said, I knew. He said, before, long before you ever finished, he was already wiping tears away from his eyes. I think Gwen told Candy today that from the time the service started, that she, I think she told Candy that, that God was all over that, that boy today. And uh, Ryan told me, um, he told me after church, I took him back to the hotel, and he said, Uncle Bill, from the time I walked in this morning, he said, I knew. He said, I knew I was where I was supposed to be. And um, I'm thankful for church, where the manifest presence of God 
is felt even by lost people. Because that's not true everywhere. And I know we hear this a lot from men who come and visit, but I'm, I'm telling you, church, God's given us something special here. And we should never take that for granted. So I'm thankful that from the moment he walked in, that he knew that he was in the right place. And um, I'm thankful that my brother got to lead him to the Lord. And um, it's a huge, huge victory. Pray for Ryan. Would you? He's got a significant other, and uh, she's expressed some desire to, to be in church and so hopefully we'll be able to get them involved in a good ministry there in Wichita and they can grow in the Lord and, and learn to walk with God and get on the right path. And um, so I just, I, I just wanted to share that with you. And he said, man, when you, when you got up there and you, you said, I wish we could just stay here all day, he said, he said I said in my heart, I'm down with that. <laughs> and uh, so... Amen. Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 19 tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read our text and then we'll uh, get into the message. Beginning in verse 8, we left off in our last message, verse 7, and we preached from the first seven verses of Acts 19 about what, what is your next step. And uh, that night we saw a number of of folks take what was their next step as they followed the Lord. In scriptural New Testament, water baptism, deep water. Deep water, immersion. Amen. And now we're going to pick it up in verse 8. And he went into the synagogue, this is Paul. He's in Ephesus now. He went in the synagogue and he spake boldly for the space of three months. We had this discussion today at the lunch table, our family. Um, Paul was uncompromisingly confrontational. Paul was not a feel-good preacher. Paul was a, this is what God said. Now, you need to get in line with it. And he was always kind, he was always loving, but as we see here, he was always bold. Again, uncompromisingly confrontational in his preaching. And he was that way for three months in the synagogue there at Ephesus. Disputing and persuading. We might think of that as, as conducting some Q&A um, with those that were in the synagogue he knew what he believed, and he wasn't intimidated when his beliefs were questioned by others. And disputing, persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Verse 9, but when divers, that word means various or sundry, of the people there were hardened and believed not. And by the way, that's the natural result. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 1. When people are continually confronted with the truth and time after time after time they neglect the truth and they shove the truth to the side, the natural result of that is to become hardened against God and against the truth. And thus you have all kinds of immorality 
as Paul mentions there in Romans chapter 1, because people have denied God, they've, they've rejected the truth of God, and the natural end result of that is hardened hearts. And so when uh, a, a different people heart were hardened, they believed not, but spake evil of the way, that is the way of Christ, before the multitude he departed from them. So they started speaking out from hard hearts, started speaking out against Paul, against what he was teaching about this way of Christianity. And so Paul separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. It was funny, I uh, was reading a little bit about this Tyrannus, and uh, there's really no record of a, a man named Tyrannus, so the, the, general, the general idea is that he was given that name by his students because he was a tyrant. So, you teachers might start calling you Tyrannus. Might, don't be so hard on your students. Verse 10, and this continued by the space of two years. So now we're two years into this. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Both Jews and Gentiles. Or excuse me, Greeks. Verse 11, and God wrought special, note that, special miracles by the hand of Paul. Now, Luke, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, took time to note that these were special miracles. These were um, not to be duplicated by others. These were special. These were extraordinary miracles that God wrought. That Paul, Listen, Paul didn't do these things. God did these things through Paul. It says that he wrought these things by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons. And the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Now there are... A lot of folks today who are trying to cash in, literally cash in money, $50. I'll, you send me a handkerchief and 50 bucks, and I'll wipe my brow with it, and I'll send it back to you, and it will bring miracles. You send me 50 bucks, and I'll send you any part of my clothing you want. By the way, these miracles were performed to confirm Paul as an apostle and the authenticity of his message. But anyway, these aprons would have been things that Paul wore while he was making tents and these handkerchiefs would have been much like people use them today. They would have been wrapped around his head. They would have been like sweatbands. And so people were getting these things. And notice what happened. 
diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Listen, church, that really happened. Listen, we don't have to, we do not have to apologize for what happened in the book of Acts. People spoke in tongues, people were healed of diseases. All of that happened in the book of Acts. There's no reason to apologize for it or be afraid of it. It really happened. But as I said last time, we have to always keep in mind the transitional nature of the book of Acts. Because it's really the only place where we read of these things happening. Why? Because God was trying to authenticate the message of the apostles. And as I said last time, we, nothing that we read of in the book of Acts, none of these things ever happened in the same, in the same order, in the same way. Sometimes people were saved and they spoke in tongues and they were baptized and sometimes they were saved and baptized and never spoke in tongues. Everything was different. So we can't base our, our theology and our practice today on the book of Acts because it was transitional in nature. Then, verse 13, certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. I think that's significant. It's not, we're not preaching this guy. We don't believe this guy, but Paul does. He thinks he's something special. Paul's all about this Jesus guy, so we're, we're going to use his name. Verse 14, and there were seven sons of one Sceva. We don't have any idea who Sceva was, other than the fact he was a Jew, the chief of the priest, which did so. Again, there's no historical record of a priest by the name of Sceva. So you might think of this whole vagabond Jew, this whole Sceva thing as like back in the, the days of, of the, the Westerns, you got these snake oil guys, they'd roll their wagon up and sell this snake oil. That's the picture I get when I think of Sceva and, and these. He just, he just took the, the title priest unto himself. He probably wasn't even one of those. And so they use the name of Jesus like, Come out of this guy in the name of Jesus. And this evil spirit answered and said, I love this. Jesus I know. And Paul I know. <laughs> but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Boom. They just smacked down on them. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. You might write in your Bible out beside verse 18, real repentance. 
Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. One commentator said that was equivalent to 50,000 days of regular pay. And all these things that they brought and dumped and burnt, this was no insignificant sacrifice on their part. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I read about a fellow named Bill who was always bragging about who he knew and how he was friends with a lot of powerful and, and, and very popular people. And one day his boss just got tired of, of him bragging about it, so he, he called him on it. And he said, uh, so you know all these people? He said, yeah, 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 I know. I, I, you name anybody, any popular, powerful person, and I promise you I know who they are. So his boss said, so I reckon you're going to tell me you know who Tom Cruise is. Bill said, well, yeah. He said, Tom and I, said, we're, we're old buddies. The boss said, improve it. So him and Bill flew to Hollywood. They walked up to the home of Tom Cruise, knocked on the door. Tom opens the door. Bill, it's great to see you. You and your friend, come on, come on in, man. Although impressed, Bill's boss was still a little skeptical. And so he asked Bill if he knew the president. Bill said, absolutely, I know the president. Let's fly to Washington, and I'll show you. And so sure enough, they fly to Washington, D.C., and they're ushered into the White House. And about that time, President Trump comes out, says, Bill, man, I haven't seen you in ages. Said, listen, I, I'm, I'm headed to a meeting, but why, why don't you and your friend come with me? We'll stop and we'll get a cup of coffee before, before the meeting. Well, Bill's boss was a little shaken at that point, but still not totally convinced. And so as they left the White House, he said, well, well, well let me ask you this, Bill. Do you know the Pope? Bill said, do I know the Pope? He said, absolutely, I know the Pope. We've been friends for years. Why don't we go see him? And so they get on a plane. They fly to Rome. And when they get there, there are thousands of people in the courtyard waiting for the priest to, to walk out and, and do his, his mass thing. And Bill said, listen, there, there are too many people here for the, for the Pope to, to recognize me when he walks out. So you wait here. I know the guards. They'll let me through. Give me just a few minutes, and then I'll walk out onto the balcony with the Pope. So he leaves, walks through. Sure enough, about 30 minutes later, Bill steps out on the balcony with the Pope. They do their thing, and finally when Bill makes his way back to where his boss was, they found his boss on the ground, surrounded by a group of paramedics. When Bill asked him what had happened, he said, well, I was doing fine until you and the Pope walked out, and the guy next to me elbowed me and said, hey, who's that guy with Bill? 
Sometimes it's about who you know. And then there are times it's about who knows you. The story that we just read in the book of Acts is all about who knows you. Luke writes about a a group, and we read it, a group of vagabond Jews. These people were wanderers, and in my mind, I have this group of gypsies that just moved from, from place to place. They really didn't have any place that they called home, and they took it upon themselves to act as exorcists or people who cast demons out of others. We read here about these miracles, and let me just say this. In biblical history, you will find three special periods of miracles. There was the time of Moses, there was the time of of Elijah and Elisha, and then there were the times of Jesus and his apostles. Each period was less than a hundred years. And depending on how some of those events are classified, the total number of miracles for all three of those periods were less than a hundred. So it's not like Jesus or anybody else just went around doing miracles for the fun of it. When, When Jesus performed a miracle, he usually had one of three purposes in mind. Number one, it was to show compassion and meet human needs. Or it was to teach a spiritual truth. Or it was to present his credentials as the Messiah. The book of John lists just a a few of the miracles that Jesus did. And at the end of the book, John said, the reason that I wrote about these things was so you could believe that Jesus was the Messiah and be saved. And so Jesus did many of his miracles to authenticate his claim of not just being the Son of God, but also being God the Son. And let me just throw this in there. He never did it for money. Or for notoriety. The apostles followed the same pattern in their miracles. In fact, the ability to do miracles was one of the proofs of apostolic ministry. It wasn't to to get fame. It it wasn't to show off. God allowed those things to happen because he wanted to authenticate that these men were men of God and that the message they were preaching was of God. Verse 14 tells us that the sons of of this man named Sceva decided that they would try their hand at casting out demons. And I want you to notice what it says very clearly in verse 13. It says that this was something that they took upon them. They took it upon themselves to do this. In other words, it wasn't God calling them. It wasn't God equipping them to do what they did. They just did it. And again, it doesn't say this, 
but this is my opinion, they, they did it for their own fame. And they did it for their own fortune. And they did it because they wanted to draw attention to themselves. They, they did it without God's authority. They did it without God's anointing, without God's assistance. In verse 15, we read an interesting exchange between these seven sons of Sceva and an evil spirit that had occupied a, a man's soul and they were trying to, to cast him out. And the evil spirit said this. He said, well, I know Jesus. And the word know there that the demon used in reference to Jesus is a Greek word that means to know by interaction. It means to know by experience. So what this demon was saying was that he had encountered Jesus and he knew him well. But then he said, and I know Paul. You can do your own study here, but that's a different Greek word, which simply means to know about. He knew Jesus because he had encountered Jesus. But he knew, only knew about Paul. So apparently he had no personal experience with Paul, but he had heard about him. But when it came to these sons of Sceva, the demon had no idea who they were. He had not had any personal dealings with them. He had not even heard about them. And so this man that he was in jumped on him. Would that have freaked you out or what? All of a sudden, he's, ah, this dude jumps on him. And he overcomes him. And he prevails against him. To the point they ran out naked and wounded. In everyday language, the demon jumped on him, beat the fire out of him, and sent him packing. And I don't even know who you clowns are. Now, I want to go back to verse 15. And I want you to consider this question tonight. Who are you to the devil? Who are you to the devil? In other words, what have you done? Or what are you currently doing as a Christian that would have gotten his attention? That would have earned his respect. What, what have you done or what are you doing currently in your life as a believer that would cause the devil to take notice of you? Jesus I know and Mike I know. And Linda, I know. And Dion, I know. And Dewey, I know. Lorraine, I know. And Preston, 
You with me? Yeah, I know. I, I know about them. I'm aware of them. Is the devil aware of you? Are you living in a way that would draw his attention? I have no doubt but that the devil knows some believers by name. Maybe even some of you here tonight. I would like to think that there are some members of Fellowship Baptist Church who are on the devil's list. You've gotten his attention. You're living in a way, and you are making an impact in a way that the devil has, 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 has you on his list. But at the same time, I'm sure that there are other Christians who he doesn't have a clue who they are. And sadly, it may be some in here. And it's because outside of their salvation, they've not given him any reason to know them. And by the way, that's not a good thing. Let me consider a couple of things tonight. Number one, the devil doesn't know those in the sense that I'm talking about tonight who have a poor testimony. Now listen to me, the devil ought to know every one of us by name, and if he doesn't, shame on us. No, 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 shame on us. If we have not done anything to draw the fire of the evil one, shame on us. He ought to know who we are. Someone has well said the devil is perfectly willing for a person to profess Christianity so long as he or she doesn't practice it. Yeah, but preacher, I carry a King James Bible, bless God. Like the devil's really concerned about that? He doesn't carry, he doesn't, it, it doesn't matter to him if you, if you carry a family-sized King James Bible to church. If you don't practice it, he doesn't give a rip. Yeah, but I wear my, I have decided to follow Jesus shirt I got when I was baptized. Boy, I bet that's got him shaking in his boots. Not if you're not living like you've decided to follow Jesus. You wear whatever kind of shirt you want. You put whatever kind of bumper sticker you want on your car. You can, you can wear your all-in shirt. You can wear your liberal love shirt. You can wear a shirt that says, I'm a Jesus freak. I don't care. And the devil doesn't care if our life doesn't add up and match what's on the shirt. Because you put a fish on your car doesn't mean the devil falls to his knees in fear. Just because you wear all kinds of religious jewelry doesn't mean anything to the devil. Yeah, but preacher, I went to church camp. So what? 
Yeah, but, but, but preacher, I'm involved in the bus ministry. I, I'm involved in the choir. I'm involved in children's church. Big deal. If what you do on Monday through Saturday doesn't match up with what you do on Sunday, it doesn't matter. You are not a threat to the devil. And he doesn't even know your name. Because you're not a threat to him. Why should he worry about you when you're not a threat? It doesn't matter. He doesn't mind if we say we're Christians if we don't live like a Christian. Two fellows met on the street one day and one said to the other, have you heard about Harry? He embezzled the company out of a million dollars. The other man said, that's terrible. First man said, not only that, but he left town and he took Tom's wife with him. Oh man, that's awful. Yeah, but not only that, he stole a car to make his getaway. That is scandalous. First man said, not only that, they, they think he was drunk when he pulled out of town. Boy, that's a shame. First man said, yeah, but what really bothers me is who's going to teach his Sunday school class next Sunday. How many of you think he was any kind of threat to the devil? No. And we laugh at that, but sadly, that's the state of a lot of churches. And sadly, that may even be the state of some of you in Fellowship Baptist Church. I don't have time to police your activities Monday through Saturday. (laughs) But I do get around enough to know a few things. And some of the things I know aren't good. It's because what you're professing in here on Sunday ain't what's going on out there on Monday through Saturday. And that's not good. It's just not right. Listen, when a person calls themselves a Christian then they are making the claim that they are a follower of Christ. And that's what the name Christian means. It means a follower of Christ. It means little Christ. We study in the book of Acts chapter 11, verse 26, where it says the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Why? Because I like a bunch of little Jesuses running around. A bunch of little Christ running around. A bunch of little, little, little Christ imposters because they were living like this Jesus of Nazareth and they were talking like this Jesus of Nazareth. And so their enemies tried to insult them by calling them Christians because they were a lot like Christ. They lived for him on a daily basis. Are you with me tonight? The devil has absolutely no reason to know some Christians simply because outside of their appearance in church on Sunday, 
Again, there's nothing Monday through Saturday that even remotely resembles Jesus. Their language is not like Jesus. Their morals are not like Jesus. Their work ethic is not like Jesus. Their home life is not like Jesus. They're not involved in ministry. They don't talk about Jesus to others. They don't invite others to church. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. They're not a threat to the devil whatsoever. And I'm telling you tonight, that is a poor testimony. You can just insert your name in verse 15. Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Because with a poor testimony, we do not present any threat whatsoever to the devil. The devil doesn't know those who have a poor testimony. But on the other hand, he does know those who have a powerful testimony. Dale Moody said, I believe Satan exists for two reasons. First, the Bible says so. And second, I've done business with him. Leonard Ravenhill, if you've never read after Leonard Ravenhill, I would encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you to get a hold of some of his books of old. Tremendous man of God. He wrote a book, Why Revival Tarries. In other words, why, why does revival not come? Why do churches and believers individually not experience revival? And in that book, he said this of Paul. God and Paul were in intimate terms. Revelations were granted him. His, excuse me, his servants were angels. At his fingertips were earthquakes. His spirit-powered words shattered the fetters from the soul of a spirit-bound girl who men had snared as a fortune teller. In Corinth, this mighty man, Paul, drained a part of the slough of despond and there on the devil's doorstep established a church. Later, he snatched souls from under the nose of Caesar, right from Caesar's own household. Paul also stormed the intellectual capital of the world, Mars Hill, with resurrection truth and thereby routed their learned while Paul lived, hell had no peace. Hmm, I like that. While Paul lived, hell had no peace. Would to God that could be said of us. That for the majority of their life as a believer... The devil was constantly on guard. He was constantly being threatened by their service to the Lord and their walk with God and their devotional life and their zeal for souls and their love of people. I mean, the devil could never rest when those people were awake. And when they were alive and when they were awake, hell had no There are at least two reasons why Paul was such a threat to the devil's kingdom. 
I hope you have your Bibles tonight. We're going to look at some verses. I could have put them on the screen, but I think from time to time we need to turn in places in our Bible, especially new believers, learn how to get around a little bit, amen, in their Bible. So we're going to turn to some scripture tonight real quick, 2 Corinthians, verse 1, let's go there, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 1. When you get there, say amen. Well, that was fast. I'm not even there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Amen. I'm there. When you get there, say amen. Say it loud. All right. Anybody else still getting there? Some of you got a phone or iPad, and that's cheating. You didn't have to turn pages. First of all, Paul, I think, posed a threat to the devil because he had a virtuous life. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. Chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians in verse 2. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And then turn to the right, several books, to the book of 2 Timothy. Brother McCracken calls them the T-books. Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1, when you get there, say amen. amen. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers, look at this, with a pure conscience. Without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Here's the point I want you to get from those verses tonight. Paul had a clear conscience. Have you ever noticed, I know you have, that when you begin to live for God is when the devil begins to fight? You ever notice that? Why is that? You might want to venture a guess. Why is that? You can say it out loud. Because we become a threat. We've got his attention. Oh, no. God's got his heart. Oh, no. She's, she's vowed to live for God. And so now you have his attention. And so now you pose a threat, and now he's going to begin to attack you. Am I the only one who's ever experienced that? You make a decision, you're going to be better at reading your Bible, you're going to be better at praying, and the next thing you know, there are things popping up at home and at work and in your life that you've never had to deal with before. Why? Because you weren't a threat to the devil. He didn't have to do anything. And now all of a sudden, because you're passionate about God, and you're on fire for God, and you've been with God on the mountain in Colorado, and now you come down, and, and, and you purpose in your heart, and you really meant it, that you're going to start living for God, and boom! 
I mean, you, you, you just barely get into cell phone range coming down the mountain, and it's your friends. You want to party tonight? You want to do this tonight? Blah, 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 blah. Young people ever face that? Absolutely. It happens all the time. I went back, and I uh, was fortunate enough to be able to find an email that I remember getting a number of years ago from a man in our church. We had just returned that weekend from the men's advance at Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater. And the subject line of that email said this, flesh is weak. The first sentence was, I just don't understand. The rest of the email said in part, I came from a men's preaching meeting filled with hope and a desire to change. Morning one was filled with failure. Morning two, more failure. I utter prayers of protection and guidance as I head into work, and not 30 minutes later, I'm being tempted and find myself neglecting my prayers. Just when you take that step, decide to take a stand out of the boat, Decide to go that extra effort. Stop that sin. Be a better father. Truly love your wife. Just when you really want to be different, to make a difference. And then he asked this question, why is it that just then the devil decides to fight the fierceness. You know why? Because you got his attention. Because now he made him take notice of you. Whereas before, you were not a threat to the devil, now you are. Welcome to the world of real Christianity. Welcome to the world of turn around, let me put a target on your back. Because that's exactly what happens. When you and I decide to stand up and live right, we put a big old bullseye on our back. I mean, it's like waving a red flag in the face of a bull. I don't know if that's legit or not. I've never been a bullfighter, but it looks cool. But are you tracking with me tonight? To a preacher, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I, I've had enough of that. I don't want to be any a part of that. I just want to go to heaven. Okay? But you'll never live in victory. You'll never make any spiritual advances. And quite honestly, you'll never amount to anything spiritually. Unless you're willing to stand up and get in the fight, your life as a Christian will be a total bust. 
I mean, I've had people tell me before, shortly after getting saved, well, preacher, I never, I thought my life as a Christian would be a whole lot easier than this. No, 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 no. I never told you that. I've never preached that one time from the Bible because it's not in the Bible. Truth of the matter is, you sell out to Jesus and your life's going to get harder. Your marriage is going to take a few hits. Your relationship with your kids is going to take a few hits. You're going to run into things at work you've never had to deal with before. You're going to have junk going on that you've never had to deal with before. Why? Because you're, he- you're, you're, you're heading in the right direction and the devil doesn't like it. The Christian life is not easy. It's a battle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. The Bible talks about that in Ephesians chapter 6. When you decide to live for Jesus, you are entering the battle of a lifetime. And the devil plays for keeps, folks. He doesn't know know anything about flag football. All he knows is smash mouth football. No pads. In your face. Doing everything he can to hurt you and harm you and cripple you as a believer. Listen, the last thing the devil wants you to do as a Christian is to live for God. Oswald Chambers said, holiness in a human being is only manifested by antagonism. In other words, if there's no fight, if there's no battle, then it's probably because there's no holiness. Because holiness in a human being is only manifested by antagonism. So listen to me tonight. Thank God for the fight. Did you get that? Thank God. But preacher, it's hard. I know it's hard. But thank God for the fight because that means you're living right. You're doing right. You're serving God the right way. You're living your life the right way. You're doing things the right way and the devil doesn't like it. And you've got his attention. So when you go home tonight, drop to your knees and say, God, I don't like it, it's hard, but I thank God for the fight. Because it means I'm doing something right in my life. Paul had the devil's attention because he lived a virtuous life. And he also lived a victorious life. Listen, Paul wasn't exempt from struggles with the world, the flesh, and the devil. He was very honest and upfront about that. But he walked in victory. You know the passage of Scripture over in Romans chapter 7. I I was going to turn there, I won't. You can read that when you get home, where Paul says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those things I find myself doing. And he goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What's he talking about? He's talking about what we're talking about tonight. He's talking about wanting to do right. 
but, but struggling with getting it done and not wanting to do wrong, but finding it so easy to do wrong instead of doing what's right. And, and Paul said, listen, I've got this constant struggle going on within me. And it's like he gets to the end of the chapter and he throws his quill up in the air and he says, oh, wretched man that I am. And you can sense his frustration. But then he says, thanks be to God. Who giveth us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord? Yeah, yeah, Paul struggled. He had fight, he fought all the time. The devil knew Paul. And Paul was victorious. Not that he was some kind of superhero, because he had a desire and determination to live for God. Go back to verse 15 with me, would you? Acts chapter 19. Look at it again. The evil spirit said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. As I pointed out earlier, the use of the, the Greek word for know suggests that, that this particular demon had not had any personal dealings necessarily with Paul, but he'd sure heard about him. Man, I would love to hear the conversations that went on in, in the world of evil about this dude named Paul. Man, we had him when he was Saul, and now he's Paul. He was ours. He worked for us. Now we've lost him, and he's following Jesus of Nazareth, and he's part of that group that's turning the world upside down. What are we going to do? You can let your imagination run wild with that. Let me just say this, and I'll close. Sometimes in uh, Major League Baseball, a team will come up against a, a pitcher that they've, they've never faced before. They, they, they don't know who he is. One or two reasons for that. Either he's just been called up that series or that day sometimes from the AAA club. And so this may be his first stint in the major leagues. Or maybe he got traded from the American League to the National League or the National League to the American League. But anyway, they, they, they don't know about this guy. They haven't had any dealings with him personally. They've not had any at-bats against him personally. But that doesn't mean that they haven't heard of him. It doesn't mean that they don't know anything about him. It's amazing nowadays in professional baseball the stats they keep and the things they know. Next time you're watching a baseball game and they bring in a, a pitcher like this, they may cut away to the dugout And the coach has called the guy that's supposed to be up to bat. He's called him over to the dugout. And they're looking at this book. 
And this is a book about this guy that they just brought in to pitch. And in that book, you would be amazed at the information in that book. They'll list there, they'll, they'll have a record of, of what pitch he likes to throw first. They'll have a kind of a sequence that he likes to throw. They'll, I mean, they got it down to when the count is two balls and one strike, what's this guy mo- most likely to throw? When there's a man on second and no outs, what's this guy likely to do? And it's that detailed. They've got a book on this guy. My question tonight to you is, does the devil have a book on you? Does the devil have some things that he knows about you? Or have you managed to just fly under the radar as a Christian and never draw the devil's fire? Yeah, I'm a preacher, I like it that way. Well, maybe so, but that's not the way we're supposed to live. When Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he wasn't speaking in a defensive sense. He was speaking in the sense of being offensive. It's not like they're gonna, the believers are going to stand there and hold their, their ground against the attacks of the devil. No, what it means is Christians are going to charge and the devil is not going to be able to prevail. Listen, we, we're supposed to be charging. We're supposed to be on the offensive, not the defensive. And so tonight with heads bowed and eyes closed, 